So podium, uh, so check, check, that's, yeah, that's me. Um, check. Podium, and then please check the podium mic. Check, 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 check. One, two, three. Hello. Check, check, check. What? One, two, three. You gotta get closer, Gary. Can you hear me, Anna? Annie, you can't hear me, Annie. One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. God has made a way to heaven. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. You remember that song? What am I missing there? Made a way to heaven. Six, two, one. Love his dear son. Two, three, four, five, six. I don't know. Better brush up, sister. Guitar, you get. Implying that you need more money? No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's free. It's free. Everybody can take a little scoop of ice cream uh, with you. Okay. The book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to continue as we began uh, chapter one. Now we're in chapter three. Um, a very unique book in the Bible, as we said. The book of Proverbs is telling us how to live, and the book of Ecclesiastes tells us why should we live. And many of the things that are written here possibly by Solomon, not going to be dogmatic about it, doesn't really matter. It's by the teacher, the wisdom uh, that the God has gifted this writer with, who's inspired by God. He's a holy man of God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So every jot and tittle of the word is precious, and so we value the book of Ecclesiastes like we would all of the whole of Scripture. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to seek and a time to lose. 
a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business of God that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time, and also he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is not a book that is uh, an instructional book. It doesn't give us necessarily all the clues to how to live life the best. It Obviously, uh, Solomon is letting out some of the griefs and the despair, discouragement, and absolutely some of the uncertainties that he has about life. So you could say this book is more of a descriptive book than a didactic book. It's more declarative rather than instructional. Remember, it's the writing of one who's writing from under the sun, so we have to look at it that way. We often ask people words like, what's new? The book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new that's under the sun, right? Have you ever looked at a, uh, a some of you that are maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 or above, may have seen pictures of yourself, right? Photos when you were in the um, services possibly, when you were in grammar school, maybe when you were even in a playpen and you go back at those pictures and say, wow, that was me. And you, you, your mind goes back to those days, what those days were like. And yeah, one of the things that crosses your mind too is like, where did time go? I remember that like it was yesterday. That's one of the things that sort of I think is in the back of the author's mind here is about the flightiness of time and how quickly things go by in our life and then we end up dying. What goes around comes around. We have the cycle of life here. Is there anything new under the sun? The author is saying everything is predictable. This will begin, then that, then that, then that, and on and on and on and on. Sometimes there are oddities that happen in life. I don't know if any of you have experienced this depending on your age, but I can remember, I think, two in my lifetime. Uh, and, and raise your hand, have you ever been uh, around in this world, in your life, where there's been a full solar eclipse in the middle of the day. Do you recall what that was like? Wasn't that strange? I don't remember what, three or four in the afternoon, one of these, and, you know, I was just a little kid, and I remember hearing about this, but the experience of going through at broad daylight, within minutes, all of a sudden, it is pitch blackout in the middle of the day. Well, that's something that's not the norm 
But this book is talking about the normal cycles of life. The word time that is used here uh, in 14 different uh, pairs of contrasting uh, opposites. Uh, the word time appears 30 different times right here in this section. Time is a big deal. Here are some expressions that we use about time. It's about time. Or now's the time. It's his time. Or his turn at 30. It's his time, okay? Or uh, do you have time? Uh, time is running out. There's a time for everything. It's not the right time. I don't have time. What time is it? It's time to stop. You see, we are time-oriented. We think in the concept of time. We often wonder and ask, what day is that? Or what day is it going to be on? What day is today? Uh, uh, what time are we going to be meeting? Or, or something like, don't be late. We're very time-conscious. But here, the, the author begins by telling us that there's a time to be born and a time to die. You know, when you go to the uh, cemeteries, you'll see the date of birth, D-O-B, date of birth, and then the hyphen, dash, and then the date of death, D-O-D, the date of death. You know, wouldn't it be something if all the tombstones of believers in Jesus had to have that hyphen there really should be two hyphens. And do you know what I mean by that? You were born, there's a hyphen after that, till the day you die, and then you've been born again, and there's a hyphen after that, till the day you die. So it's often important that we think of our days on earth as ones that began at the beginning of our new birth. First Peter chapter 1 says, having caused us to be born anew or born again. That was our greater birth. That's our spiritual birthday. Sometimes it's difficult to have get people to think that prior to their conversion, whatever they did, if they're saved, they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's all behind them. That's all taken care of. Jesus paid it all. It's washed away. We're clean every whit. Nothing remains. God would forbid us to go back to those days and live in guilt over things that we did when the Bible says those were considered the days of our ignorance. Those days of ignorance ended. Now the hyphen begins for the new start of our new life till the day that we die. So when is the hyphen after your second birth? Do you have a second birth? I hope you do. If you don't, you need to be born again. The Bible reminds us of the importance of that. Now, when we go through this, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, etc., these, these are obviously ordinary things of life. There's an agricultural statement there. Time to plant, time to pull up what you planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. Not necessarily kill another human being necessarily, but kill animal, livestock that they needed to feast on. A time to break down and a time to build up. These are just common, everyday type things. Some of them, I, though, I would like to stop and pause a little bit to think about. Like verse 4 says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. 
a time to mourn and a time to dance. Obviously, these are contrasted. Weeping, laughing, mourning, dancing. Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn. There's a blessing for the mourner. There's expectation that believers should mourn. It tells us in the same book of Ecclesiastes, I think it's 11 verse 8, it says, Though a man live many days on earth and rejoices in them all, but yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Days of darkness. Those are days that are expected to be on the chart of our life schedule. Now those days we often we recoil from. They're they're hurtful. We want to run away from them. We want to counteract them. And sometimes we use artificial stimulants possibly to overcome that. I've been ministering to, to a brother in Christ who's ha- going through a very difficult marriage uh, situation. And he has confessed how he has turned to alcohol often too much because it is the only way that he can help him get through the grief that he's going through. And he knows it's wrong and he's confessing it to the Lord And I understand, I understand the hurt, I understand the grief, and he understands too that I can't be going and drinking out of a well that's not really going to be satisfactory. It's only numbing the reality of the pain. These are days of darkness. And the most we can do is kind of jump into the darkness sometimes with people and sort of bear the burden with them so that they don't feel so much alone which Job's friends thought that they were doing, but they didn't have really wise counsel for Job. But Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn. That's kind of odd when we think of mourning as being not something that's desirable. But listen to what the scripture says in James 4, uh, 9 and 10. It says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. See, there's that time, that, you could say, that side of life that can be remedial, that can be helpful. There's something in it that's for our good. It may be very distasteful, but it's simply put into the recipe of life that we have to digest, though it's not easy understandably so. In the same book of Ecclesiastes, it says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. So we shouldn't often shy away from those periods when mourning is correct. It's all about the timing of it. To everything, there is a time and a purpose to everything that's done under the sun. And these are just the things of the cycle of life that we go through. Time to weep and a time to laugh. Laughter is a medicine, the scripture says. I love to laugh. You crack me up. I want to crack you up. I want to turn your mourning into joy. I want to lift your spirits. Now, I don't want to be corny. I don't want to be a, a, a class clown, so to speak, and make life all about laughter. Of course not. But there is something about lifting a person's spirit with a good, wholesome joke or a funny saying or something that just gives a person a little sense of happiness in their life. 
It is so, I think, important. Scripture calls it a medicine. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Who danced in the Bible? David. Danced. Why? He was exhilarated about the ark being brought back. He couldn't wait to get in front of that ark and lead it home. And he was dancing before the Lord. His wife, of course, was mocking him and took his joy and his, his, uh, his, his uh, ex- exuberance as being something other than what he atten- intended. He was doing it, as he says, as unto the Lord. You are mistaken my motive. We don't have to care what people think sometimes. We want to let it all hang out, and that's what David was doing. He was happy before the Lord. He could care less about the insult that people may have had about what he was doing. He knew he was doing it as unto the Lord, and that was a joy to the heart of God, I'm sure. Verse 5 says, To cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Again, an ordinary thing of everyday life that all of these recipients would understand very clearly. In a time to embrace, in a time to refrain from embracing. Embracing, greeting one another, hugging one another, shaking hands with one another, having a little bit of a touch with one another that is very meaningful to one another. Sometimes there though, are times when we are not to embrace. I can think of an example that happened one time uh, at our youth camp when uh, one, of, uh, one, one of the staff was very offended by another one of the staff who had said some things out of turn at the, at, at, at the, in the heat of the moment, and it caused that brother to feel very insulted, embarrassed, and, and it was uh, a ridicule almost on, on his, uh, his judgment and whatnot. And, uh, and it was a very tense situation. Uh, and then another brother who just walked into the uh, environment when, when this was just coming to a close, and he said, what, ha- what happened? I said, well, brother, so-and-so really upset that uh, so-and-so said this to him, you know? And you could see it on his face. He was very distraught when he looked at that brother. So the brother that I to- informed what had happened to went up to the brother that was offended and tried to give him a big hug. It says, we love you, brother. But the timing was just not right. Timing is everything. That was not the time to be embracing. And it's hard for me to kind of describe the atmosphere, but as soon as he did it, and I know he meant it from his heart, and he wanted to heal the fracture quickly and easily and simply by just a hug of love and saying, we love you, brother. And there's no doubt there was love there anyway, but it just was not the season for him to be able to take that. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it tells us the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. Chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, if you want to take note of that. There is a proper time. Is it the right time? Scripture talks about having a word in season. Sometimes we're better off by restraining ourselves from saying something than saying something that might be 100% correct, but it's just not at the right time. It takes wisdom and knowledge to know when to open your mouth. He that has knowledge spears his words. Take, for instance, in the book of Job. Job had awful things happen to him. Lost his family, his livestock. He uh, got 
sick himself. He was from head to foot with wounds and putrefying sores with boils and whatnot. And uh, the three friends, you know, tried to give their opinion of what had taken place. And Job is reacting to them, and they're going back and forth. And then there's somebody who's in the background. background. Do you remember who that was? What was his name? The last one to speak began with an E. What is it? I think it's Elihu, isn't it? E-L-I-H-U. Why was he the last one to speak? Well, he says, let, let me read to you. Now, again, this is so important, I think, in the wisdom that he had in his patience through this. It says, the three friends of Job ceased to answer Job. Because Job was righteous in his own in his own eyes, then Elihu burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Now this is verse four says, "Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older than he, and he says that years should speak." The Bible talks about a man with gray hair uh, that it's called his crown of glory. So there's expectation that the older one is, the wiser one should become. Not necessarily so, but ordinarily that's how it should work. Elihu, being the youngest of them all in young period, says this. I am full of words, the spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like wine that needs vent, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak. I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. And he goes on to give to Job in the ears of his three friends what he felt was not having been said up to that point. But the point I'm trying to bring out is his patience in waiting through it all. It wasn't easy for him to, to have that happen, but it was necessary. It's sort of like somebody who's, who's starting to go down in the water, and before the lifeguard reaches him, the lifeguard needs, needs to wait until that, that struggling swimmer has expended all of his energy, and now he's ready to be rescued. And when the... When that lifeguard gets there, the timing is such that I can't do it. I can't paddle one more hand in the water. Thank you. Well, that's kind of what e where Eli, who was, he just stepped in at the right time, but he waited so patiently. So there is a time to keep silent, and he was wise in keeping the silence for all the period he did, and then there was a time for him to speak, and he did speak words of more wisdom Maybe not the ultimate words, but boy, you read what Elihu said, and it's impressive in comparison to what Job's older men friends had to say to him. Okay, a time to love and a time to hate. That one sounds a little bizarre, doesn't it? But I hate certain things. We should. The Bible says about the Lord himself that he loved righteousness but hated iniquity. So there, there should be that balance about us. There's certain things that we should hate. We should hate sin. We should hate sin in us. We should hate our sinful nature. We should hate the devil and his works. 
obviously. A time to love. Man, time to love. This is the time to love. All times are times to love. Love is the answer, even the worldly songwriters say. It's the greatest of them all, Paul says. It exceeds everything else, love. Uh, love is, can't be quenched. If you love somebody, even though you may not have the right words to communicate to them or you can't say it in the right way, they sense the love that's coming from you. They won't listen to you until you first can show them that you love them. And that's something that God built into our new nature. We have love that we didn't have like the love we have when we get born again. The love of God is in us. Praise the Lord for that. And that's a wondrous thing to be able to share so that we can even love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Who can do that in the natural? Nobody. But a supernatural individual that is supernatural because of the supernatural nature that has been given to that individual is able to respond with love and to be able to, instead of cursing them, blessing them. A time of war and a time for peace. These, again, things that happen in life's cycle. What gain has the worker from his toil? This is sort of like sort of a conclusion about after summarizing all of these different aspects of the life cycle, says, what gain has the worker from his toil? Again, he's going back to that perspective like, I do all of this all my life, and then boom, I die. And now I leave it to someone else who doesn't carry on in the same mindset that I did, and therefore he feels as if death has made all of his toil to become meaningless. And that's sort of behind the, the meaning of the, of the words when he says vanity of vanities. All is vanity and vexation of spirit because death ends it all. As he goes on to say, and again, remember, this is man under the sun speaking. He has made, uh, verse 10 rather, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. We should all be thinkers. Busy with what? Thinking about our lives, where we're going, what, what's it all about? What's my purpose? Why am I doing what am I do what I, what I'm doing? There there are circumstances to to our life and how we live and choices that we make. So in verse eleven he says he has made everything beautiful in its time. That's a great that's a great saying. God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has it all mapped out. He's got the schedule before it even occurs. Known unto God are his works from eternity. That's a great, good thing to know because it takes a lot off of your own shoulders when you can put it on God's and say, God, you're in charge. You're taking all of this into consideration. And how do we look at things? It goes on to say, also he has put eternity into man's heart. He has put eternity into man's heart. Adam Clark says these words, God has deeply rooted the idea of eternity in every human heart. And every mindful person sees all the operations of God, that they refer to this endless duration. It is only in eternity that man will be able to discover what God has designed by the various works he has formed. 
How then important is eternity in our hearts? You know, Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. You know, when we have the right perspective of eternity and the bearing that it has on our life and our life cycle, it will make our life choices hopefully different than the ones that we do make. Someone says it's only one life, it will soon be passed, and it's only what's done for Christ will last. Just think of that. Every man's work shall be made manifest because it shall be declared by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, 1 Corinthians 3.13. So what are we sowing in our life? Is it wood, hay, stubble, things that are combustible, or is it gold, silver, precious stone? These things should make us think when we think of the future. I had to do a funeral the other day, and the nice collage was put out here in the hall, and the, the life of the person from birth to death and all of these beautiful pictures and sceneries and so on. I wonder if the person, I wonder if, if you and I have a collage of ourselves when we look back in life and say, boy, and I, I, I want us to be reminded that the hyphen begins really after the new birth. I don't want to see my, well, I shouldn't want to put it that way. I don't want to sound too morbid. I, yeah, I had 23 years of living in the world, away from God, dead in my sins. But praise God, a new life came into me, and all things became new. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking forth unto the things which are before. And Paul valued the prize of the resurrection and the being with Christ. And that had a bearing on his life. That's why he could say that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Because he knew that a day was going to come when he was going to be raised from the dead and he was going to see the Lord in glory. This only one life will soon be passed and it's only what's done for Christ will last. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? and lose his own soul. See, our value should be on the soul and what we've gained in the soul category versus what life can give us. In life today, like I said a few weeks ago, I read a book, and I think the Kozaks are reading it, called God, Technology, and the Christian Life. And I think of my own kids, and I think of of family members and friends and people, neighbors and whatnot, and that we mentioned this last week where they could be singing, oh, God is, you know, life is good, the good life. And, you know, this world can provide you with a lot of good things. Good, I put them in parentheses because good may not necessarily be good because good can be bad. Because good can be like gifts that blind your eyes, the scripture says. Because when life is so easy, and think of it, I mean, we've got medications, we've got good doctors, we've got great hospitals, we have medical advancements. We have lawyers. We have all kinds of insurance policies and on and on and on. Uh, you can have a wonderful, easy life and die and go to hell because you never put eternity into your time frame. It was all about today and now rather than forever. Boast not thyself of tomorrow for you never know what a day is going to bring forth. A king today could be a corpse tomorrow. It's important that we lay hold, as Paul says to Timothy, lay hold of it. 
Grasp onto it. Embrace it in your heart and in your mind. That will throw a whole different light on things that go on from birth to death. The new birth to our death. It makes me back up a little bit and think and say, wait a minute. What am I doing? Is this the right person for me to marry? Uh, is this the right job that I'm going to be picking to, for myself? Is this the right place that I should be living? All of these kinds of things will have a bearing on our lives. And sometimes we just don't know. But what we can at least be doing is say, Lord, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Lead me. Show me. I'm putting the fleece out and make it what you will so that I can have some direction. And you plead with the Lord to guide your steps. And you hope that you can empty yourself of your own purposeful thinking, your own preferences, personal prejudices or preferences, and say, Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do. That would, that, that's the best we can do. You know, if we go to build a building, we have to first sit down, Jesus says, and decide if we have enough. So there is some human decision-making involved here. It's not always the fleece is going to show up with the dew or dry, depending on how you want to look at it. That would be great if we could just kind of flip a coin and say, okay, Lord, if you want me to take this job, make it ahead. Bingo. Yeah, all right. Thank you, Jesus. You know, that's very flippant and very... Uh, very foolish on our behalf to think that way that God would treat us in such a fashion. But life's choices are really, I think, gauged by the way in which we look at eternity. God has put eternity into every man's heart. That's even unconverted people. This is just a natural. I had a room, well, he wasn't my roommate, but I believe he was in the next room in the dormitory. He was a baseball player, good ball player, and I remember... <laughs> And at that time, I wasn't talking about spiritual things, but I remember him telling me, he says, whenever I think about eternity, it spooks me. It just causes me to tremble, he said. N not necessarily of even going to hell or, 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 or what, what the future holds necessarily after this life, but just trying to think about eternity. We, we can't grasp that, can we? What is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever like? You know, here we are, you know, seating, sitting here in this room in time and space in the year of 2022. Like, wow, someday we're going to be in eternity forever and ever and ever endlessly. What is that going to be like? Well, God has put eternity into our heart. We can't comprehend it to the max, of course. No man can. But it's still something that is latent within every human being. And I think we're talking about how, you know, how, how to relay the gospel to people in our day. We, Todd brought that up and Pat and was trying to hammer that out a little bit. You know, when we have, read the Bible, we have a lot of a, a whole sacrificial system of bloodshed, animals killed and so on. And that seems so uh, irrelevant to modern day society. And how do you communicate the gospel on those kind of terms? But think of this. If God has put eternity in every man's mind, one simple question would be like, where do you think you're going to spend eternity? And if Jesus himself says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I am he that liveth and was dead and am alive forevermore and have the keys of 
hell and of death. So the key to eternity of where we can go is in the hand of the Lord. Will you trust him? Will you say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? Eternity, time soon will end. Its fleeting moments pass away. O sinner, say, where wilt thou spend eternity's unchanging day? Shalt thou the hopeless horror see of hell for all eternity? And Jesus speaks in terms of eternity. <clears throat> he says, where there the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. In the book of Revelation, it says, the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and the real, the, the real meaning is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever endlessly. That's a horrifying thought. But it all goes back to Calvary's cross. Jesus paid the debt of sin that would have caused us to have to spend eternity away from God in a place of suffering and torment. But Jesus bore it all in his own body on the tree. Our brother was leading us to the song about lead me to Calvary, lead me to Gethsemane, let me go there, and we need to constantly go to that place. I perceive, he says, that there's nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in, in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I believe that. I believe that what it says there is really a prescription for life. That is the good life, you could say, that God gives to man naturally and that we as Christians can enjoy. I don't think that deprivation or denying oneself means to deprive yourself from the ordinary things of life that bring us joy and happiness. I think those are things that we, we can take well. But the only thing, we just got to be careful to not make them idolatrous to us. That would be deceiving ourselves and thinking that, ha, I've, I've, reached, I've reached a goal. No, it's not. It's just a provision that God makes for you along, along life's path. I had said to you in one of my messages on Ecclesiastes, maybe the first one, that I've benefited from the book of Ecclesiastes because it gave me a balance on life. Uh, as a Christian, I'm talking about now. Because I feel, feel and as, as I look back at my own personal life, that at times, I was definitely unbalanced. I was extreme, fanatical in ways. And you can't be too fanatical for God. Don't, don't misunderstand me. We can't be reckless enough for Christ. It's all out, absolutely. But there's certain things that I think that we can impose on ourselves that goes beyond the scripture. George Whitfield, for instance, <clears throat> in thinking that he was trying to please God the most, deprived himself of food to, the, to, a, to a degree that he got so emaciated that I believe that he destroyed the organs in his body and caused him a lifelong, lifelong sickness that he had to live with because of the damage that he had done to him internally because of the way in which he deprived himself. And I'm not saying that I personally was a 40-day a, a faster or something of that sort, but I think Christians sometimes can be, and it's not the norm, I admit, it's more in the fundamentalist category that, some of us might have had that flavor at one time in our lives. And uh, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater either. You've got to be careful. Some that, ha that were extreme in their Christian lives uh, about certain things, once they get liberated from them, the pendulum swings in the other direction. Now all of a sudden, 
they lose what they had, the good things that they had, as they delved into the word, they prayed fervently, they fellowshiped and so on, and now the pendulum has swung the other way, and they've gone in another direction, and they've lost the joy of their salvation, and maybe even have fallen away permanently, so to speak, in fellowship from God. The last verse I want to just comment briefly on is verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does forever, nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. What a closing remark. God does what he does forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. You know why? Because he's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got time in his hands. He's got the time of your birth in his hands to the time of your death. We can't add to it. We can't take anything from it. But what God does, he does forever. So let's praise his holy name for our unchanging God. And hopefully we can tap into our unchanging God through the book of Ecclesiastes and get as we hear these wise statements of man under the sun that it can bring us to the one who's a greater than Solomon, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the message of your word that rings deeply in our hearts, O 